Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. And welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? So it is time for a classic episode. This episode originally published back on October 25th, 2015. And it's called the VW Scandal. So we're talking about the Volkswagen Scandal, specifically the scandal involving Volkswagen installing uh, a, a system on their cars to cheat emissions tests. Uh, Scott Benjamin joined me for this episode. And as always, you know, it was a, it was a pleasure having Scott on the show. His knowledge of the vehicular world that was incredibly helpful. And I hope you enjoy this discussion about the very risky and ultimately catastrophic decision that Volkswagen made when it came to trying to trick emissions tests. We are going to talk about the Volkswagen scandal, what happened, uh, 
what the actual technical details are, maybe get some information about diesel versus gasoline cars, you know, kind of get an understanding of what exactly happened and what will, what, what the fallout is looking like so far. And spoiler alert, folks, this is an ongoing story. It's not like we have an end where we can say, and then they were charged this much money in fines. No, exactly, because even now, uh, with the fix information that we we now have that we just got a few days ago, mm-hmm. uh, there are still some unanswered questions in this in this fix plan. Uh, yeah. They say they've got the plan, but they're not quite exactly telling us what they're going to do with it. And not only that, but they've also recently announced a a different emissions possible subterfuge trick thing that's going to be in the 2000 or was supposed to be in the 2016 models, which currently are not available here in the United States. They're quarantined at U.S. ports. That's right. There's a hold on all sales of uh, Volkswagen diesel vehicles from 2015 and 2016. So model year 2016s are being uh, held back. You can't get one right now. Exactly. And uh, I'll talk about what that particular uh, possibly shady technology does. But before we get into that, uh, one of the things I wanted to do is kind of lay the groundwork. I usually take the first part of any episode to kind of talk about what what were the conditions that led up to this point. And really to look at this one, I wanted to go way, way, way back. All right. OK. Because uh, I wanted to talk about the conditions that led up to things like the Clean Air Act. So in order to do that, you have to look at the dependence upon the internal combustion engine as the primary means of powering vehicles. Sure. Now, Scott, I know you are very well aware that electric vehicles preceded internal combustion vehicles. Correct. Yeah. Their electric cars were around before we had in, uh, in, uh, internal combustion cars. Yes. Yes, that's right. They were, uh, in fact, very prevalent. I mean, taxi... Taxi uh, companies operated on all electric uh, platforms at mm-hmm. a certain point in history. You can look at photographs of New York, and I don't. We're talking turn of the century stuff, turn, sure. of, the, turn of the uh, 20th century, right, right, right. Uh, where you know it's all every car that you see in the shot is all electric. Um, yeah, it, there was a point when there were far more electric vehicles on the road than there were gasoline vehicles, and they were efficient, they were fast. One thing they were not was they didn't have incredibly long driving ranges. No. But at first, that didn't really matter. And the reason it didn't matter is because with the development of the automobile also came the development of the road system in the United States. Yes. So here in the U.S. at least, the the place you were most likely to encounter roads that were suitable for driving on were in cities, which meant that your driving range didn't have to be that far. You weren't doing miles and miles of driving every single day. You might be doing a few miles of driving, which was important for electric vehicles because there was no real way to recharge once you hit the road. Yeah, in fact, they had the... Uh the the original idea, I guess, you know, where Tesla's getting his battery swap idea from. Yeah. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Musk, I guess. Elon yeah. Musk. I, I always refer to him as Tesla, but that's not correct, of course. I, I'm sure he would love that, Te- the, actually. The, the, <laughs> yeah, well, the Tesla the Tesla models yeah. uh, that are proposing that, you know, there'll be these battery swap situations where you can drive up and, and leave your old battery, mm-hmm. pick up a brand new one so that it's a quick change, a relative right. quick change, and then you're on your way. And right. then you have to return for that battery uh, you know, it's like a rental almost. Sure, yeah. You have to come back and get it. But uh, that idea is nothing brand new, of course. These mm-hmm. uh, these old taxis that I'm talking about would drive into a station and they would swap the batteries and they're back out on the road to uh, collect the next fare. Yeah, to have as little downtime as possible. Yeah, and they yeah. ran constantly around the clock, but, uh, you know, they were constantly getting new batteries as well. Right. And if you look at the development of the roads, once we got to a point where roads were being built out beyond the cities, 
where they were connecting different cities together, a lot of people had the desire to travel those roads. The roads were there by necessity, but now people are like, I have an opportunity to go places I couldn't go before. But the problem was the electric vehicles weren't the vehicles that could get them there because if it was further away than, say, 18 miles, you weren't going to reach your destination. So the internal combustion engine had an advantage over that and that you could have fueling stations along the way. And the other huge advantage was because Henry Ford figured out how to do mass production. And through mass production, they were able to dramatically reduce the price of a vehicle. So... A An internal combustion engine car cost about a third of what an electric vehicle did. So you have this mass adoption of the internal combustion engine. Now, this is why I, I, the reason why I even lay that groundwork is as the United States in particular becomes a car culture and as more and more people start driving vehicles that use internal combustion, you have more and more emissions from those vehicles sure. and it begins to accumulate over time. And depending upon the type of fuel you're using, if it's diesel, you get a lot of uh, emissions that contribute to smog. And then we start seeing super smoggy cities in different parts of the country. And by the 1950s and 1960s, you had people concerned about the quality of air. True. And the cities are inherently bad about this because they they contain all, they they capture all this. They yeah. keep it all in place. And not only that, but you've also got some cities that uh, geographically uh, kind of hold on to that material that's yeah. expelled from these vehicles. Los like, Angeles is a, is the classic example here in the United States. Exactly right. You can look at some old photographs of smog in Los Angeles and see – You can't exactly, even see buildings. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's like a heavy, heavy fog that hung over the yeah. city and uh, it would eventually blow away. It would, it would go away, but – um, you know, not long, you know, not long after it blows out of there, it would come right back again because there are so many vehicles that were emitting so many, um, uh, you know, bad things for the environment, bad, yeah. the, the the noxious gases. Right. Yeah. Stuff that was bad for the environment. It could uh, cause health issues uh, if if it was really, uh, like if it's a really smoggy day. To this day, uh, in certain cities, when it's really smoggy, you'll hear warnings on the news like limit your amount of time outdoors especially on hot days where it can be aggravated because it can end up either causing or aggravating health issues. Sure. And you can see examples of this in China today. Sure. Where yeah. it's really, really heavy. I mean, there's still... Um, you know, and in parts of Europe, too. Yeah, you know, exactly right. Yeah, there's a, there, you can look at modern-day Beijing yeah. and see what uh, you know Los Angeles looked like several decades ago here in the States. Right. So by the 1950s and 1960s, different regions in the U.S. were looking at uh, ways of improving air quality and limiting pollution. And it was really patchwork. You know, for a long time until about 1967, that's when the U.S. Congress passed the Air Quality Act. Now, this was the predecessor to the Clean Air Act. The Air Quality Act had a disadvantage in that it was meant to have kind of a centralized uh, organization headed by the Secretary of Health, Education and Welfare to designate air quality regions yeah. uh, around the United States. And then the states that those air quality regions were within were supposed to come up with a plan for pollution control. Yes. So in other words, the federal government was saying, here are the areas we have to be worried about. All right, Georgia, California, Texas, you guys take care of those places. And this lack of a cohesive approach meant that it was pretty much doomed to not meet its, its goals. And in fact, after three years, by 1970... 
they had fewer than 36 regions defined. Less than three dozen of the, uh, had, had been defined at all. And no state had any sort of pollution control, uh, uh, comprehensive plan. And so the solution then was to bring it all under the control of the U.S. Congress, right? Yes. That was when the con- Congress reconvened and started to say, all right, well, this, this plan was noble in its intention. We wanted to make sure we weren't imposing the federal will on the states, but it's not working. Yeah. So that's where the Clean Air Act and comes in. And to tie all this together so that you understand what's happening at that particular time, this yeah. is, a, this is uh, well, well, you know, the, the I guess the, uh, the term that we're going to throw around here a little bit today maybe is the CAFE standards. Mm-hmm. And CAFE standards were enacted somewhere around 1975, I think, Yeah, um, the regulations. These are a set of regulations that were enacted by Congress. And uh, 1975, you're, you're talking about like the tail end of the Arab oil embargo. Right. So, the, you know, the fuel crisis, you know, where um, you see the lines of people and, you know, the no gas today. Yeah, the rationing. Or, and, yeah, yeah, and all the rationing with the odd even system and all that. Um, that is, that's the environment that we're talking about. Yeah. So this was, um, you know, this was a serious situation for multiple reasons. Also in 1970, that's when, uh, you know, you had the, the introduction of Earth Day. So you had this growing Support for conservation and uh, and and concern about the environment, uh, in th- at the same time where you have things like the oil crisis. I mean, all this stuff is coming to a head, so it's all fueling this. And we were no pun intended. Well, we were starting to understand the effects on the human body. As yes, well. uh, just just exactly what that uh, that smog was doing to people that are walking around in the right, in that right. cloud of of you know just awful stuff like sitting there and saying hey you know it's weird we're seeing a lot more people with asthma these days that yeah. kind of stuff or or bronchitis yeah. or things of that nature people are dying of respiratory illnesses yeah so we can't quite put our finger on exactly what's causing it but uh it's happening frequently yeah. and, it, and and even if you were to argue that the pollution may not cause it it certainly exacerbated it so uh this ended up creating the the clean air act which set the national standards for pollution emissions eventually and created a timeline for it which had to be adjusted multiple times because as it turned out the standards were uh the standards to make the the engines operate in what had been determined to be a safe uh set of parameters meant that manufacturers couldn't find a way to meet that and also make a car that worked so so those those um those goals kept getting pushed there was there were uh they they started to look at uh, pushing the deadline back in 1977, they pushed it back again in 1990, um, mainly because the technology to create something that was uh, able to operate w- under these standards and do its job was not really an achievable goal for something that wouldn't cost an astronomical amount of money. And, you know, one thing that I don't think we've even mentioned yet is we, we say CAFE standards. That means corporate average fuel economy. Yeah. And that's across the line of vehicles, across the whole fleet of vehicles. It's yeah. not like one particular vehicle has to meet the standard. Right. It has to be an average of all vehicles produced. And and I know there's other there's other stuff that goes into this. There's, there's this big Venn diagram that makes this all work. But yeah. um, the standards are very, very... Uh, tough to meet. I mean, they're 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 a strict set of set of standards that, um, especially the latest round, which was uh, um, announced in I think it was two thousand eight. Yeah, all the way yeah. through the twenty twenty five model year, and when manufacturers see the list of what they have to meet, the goals that they have to meet uh, in order to be in compliance with this agreement, to sign this agreement and say, yeah, we agree to to sell vehicles in the United States, mm-hmm. we have to meet these goals. Uh, it is a steep set of standards. And yeah, I find it interesting that. Looking back now, you know, the agreement, the initial agreement uh, in 2008, 
Um, although it was very stringent, very very tough. Um, Thirteen major auto manufacturers signed that agreement. Uh, you know, a bit begrudgingly. You know, they, right. they say, "Well, okay, we can probably meet these," but there's a lot of back and forth. Volkswagen and Mercedes-Benz had the biggest objection to it, and I don't know if Volkswagen ever signed that agreement. Huh. I, I don't know how – I've been looking all day trying to find out if they actually signed the agreement, but I can only find information that goes back into two, 2008 where they say Volkswagen has, as of now, not signed this agreement. Interesting. Yeah, one of those things where you can't find any definitive update about whether they did or did not sign it. Yeah, and the reason was they said that it um, – and I'll just paraphrase this – is because they said that – um, it, it places an unfair, unfairly high burden on passenger cars while allowing a greater flexibility to, uh, let's say, a heavier light truck. So yeah, yeah. they're saying it's not exactly uh, the way that we'd like to see it happen. It, and it's penalizing, of all things, penalizing people that make um, passenger vehicles with diesel engines. Right. It's not quite fair to them. So yeah. that's why Mercedes and, and Volkswagen said – I don't know about this agreement. I don't think we're going to sign it. And yeah. I, I, I will still dig into that and see if they actually ever did. But uh, around 2008, that was kind of the, uh, the the talk around the circles was, hey, why is not why is BW not signing this? And, you know, it's we'll get more into the diesel stuff in a minute uh, to explain, you know, some of the issues that manufacturers run into. Scott Benjamin and I will be back to talk a bit more about the Volkswagen scandal after this quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed 
change my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy, yeah. right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. The scandal is pretty awful. That being said, I also have at least some sympathy for the difficulty that engineers face to make things that are satisfying to drive, that operate within the the fuel economy and efficiency that is dictated by the government, as well as work within the emission standards. Okay, you just said the magic three there. Yeah, that's the three things. It's it's fuel economy, performance, and emissions. And and, and you can it's. Have you ever heard the phrase "you can have it done quickly, you can have it done well"? Or you could have it done cheaply. You can pick two out of the three. Yeah, yeah. And you're never going to find all three. Right. Well, somehow, Volkswagen managed to do all three with their diesel engines back in 2008. Oh, wow. It was magical, too, as it turns out. Yeah. But uh, before we jump ahead to that, a little bit more just to kind of cover our bases. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency has given been given a lot of control as well when it comes to the emission standards. Uh, they were able to establish the National Ambient Air Quality Standards, or NAAQS, the NACs. I gotta say that's a new one to me. Uh, yeah, that's the one that where the deadline had been extended a couple times, like where where it was clear the states could not meet that deadline. Oh. So, I mean, what do you do? Like, do you? What's the? Well, I guess what's the fine, know. and how do you define how much each place pays? I mean, uh, based yeah, on, based on what what the offense is. Yeah, how do you it, measure that? It, yeah, and and it, you know, because pollution also doesn't op- doesn't necessarily obey geography, right? You could have pollution. That is produced in one place, but it's another place that's dealing with it. Yeah. Uh, and in in states where you have big cities that are close to the border, it may be that one city is actually producing the pollution, but the other city is the one that's really suffering from it. Yeah, and dumping into rivers is a great example. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's stuff like that where it flows downstream. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or trucked into a different region. Yes. Or uh, just simple air patterns. Yeah. Like exactly. Yeah. You know, weather patterns can push it. So. Uh, you know, they, they push the deadlines a couple of times. It made me think of like if you're a, if you're a parent of a kid and you say, I need you to pick up all these toys before five o'clock and you come in there and it's all the toys aren't picked up and you're thinking, well, 
all right, you need to pick up all these toys before six o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Cause you're like, I don't really want to punish you, but I really do want you to pick up these toys. <laughs> it's done, but they've just thrown them in their brother's closet. Yeah. Uh, ah, see, pushing it down the road. Yeah. I, for me, it was, uh, it was all just shoving it into the closet. Yeah. Like that's that, if it's out of sight, that means it's clean. <laughs> um, so one of the things about the Clean Air Act, uh, is that it, it did have standards for what kinds of emissions and how much, uh, how many, you know, types of emissions could be, uh, created by a car. Carbon dioxide, by the way, not on that list. Carbon dioxide didn't, you know, that's a greenhouse gas and it's something that we're concerned about, but not on the list of the emissions that the Clean Air Act was concerned with. Instead, it was things like carbon monoxide, nitrogen oxide, uh, and hydrocarbon emissions. Yeah, greenhouse gases. <clears throat> yeah, except for carbon dioxide. Well, okay. That was the only one that was kind of left out. But sure. yeah. These are all greenhouse gases. Yeah. And, and diesel in particular is, uh, pretty bad about, um, nitrogen oxides. Yes. And that's the kind of stuff that contributes to smog, uh, uh, formation. Yeah. You'll often see it written as like NOx or NOx. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of people just call it NOx. Yep. Yep. Yep, hard knocks in that case. Uh, so uh, the standards, the emission standards themselves, when I say standard, it sounds like I could easily quote you, you know, here's how much uh, nitrogen oxide the car is allowed to uh, emit over a given amount of time. Not that simple. It all depends on the, the type of vehicle, like you were saying, between light trucks and passenger cars, for example, or the age of the vehicle. Yeah. That that plays a factor as well. Um so, and also whether it's a gasoline powered vehicle or a diesel powered vehicle, because the emissions will be different de- depending upon those. So it's a little complicated and I'm not going to be, you know, spouting off specific numbers because it's just not, there's no point to it. It's a different podcast. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the, the incredibly tiny standards podcast. I'm not going to yeah. get down to that. It would level also granular. be the one that you would uh, play to go to sleep. Yes. In, in the evening. And I, I don't mind if you guys fall asleep to me. I don't do the listener mail thing anymore, so at least you're not going to be woken up by a klaxon. Um, so, like we said, the the performance, the energy efficiency, or fuel efficiency, I should say, and the emissions are those three things, and it is very hard to meet the expectations of all three of those yeah. at the same time. Because, um, as it turns out, a lot of the emissions control mechanisms have an effect on performance. Um, they have an effect on, they can have an effect on fuel efficiency. Uh, for example, it's, it's, correlation is kind of a weird word, but there is an association between a very fuel efficient diesel engine and high production of nitrogen oxide. So you, if you're an auto manufacturer, you have to make an engine to make your car go and you're using, you know, you want it to be a diesel powered engine. You have specific standards you have to meet for fuel efficiency. That's one of the things you've got to, you've, you know, you, one of the boxes you have to check off. But you also have standards you have to meet for emissions. That's the other box you've got to check off. And in this relationship, as one goes up, the other goes down in the, in the bad way, right? Like yeah. as, as one improves, the other one is getting worse. Yeah. So how do you balance that out plus make sure that the car performs in such a way that it's not just drivable, but people want to drive yeah, it. Yeah, that a consumer would actually want to drive that vehicle because uh, when you start playing around with these three things that you've mentioned, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'll argue that uh, consumers are, are – and I know that this is, I guess, maybe controversial and that you know some people say, no, that's what I care about most. Right. There's always going to be someone like that, but um, 
I would say that most people care less about the actual emissions of the vehicle than they do about the fuel economy and the way that the car performs or feels and drives. Uh, right, because the uh, fuel efficiency is going to impact your wallet, yeah. right? You know, it's, it's how much fuel you're going to have to buy to get your car to go from place to place. And performance, obviously, the, the way the car feels. Emissions, I would argue, for most people, they want the emissions to be at a level that is uh, acceptable for the region they're in. Well, what I mean by that, and I don't, I don't mean to you know spark any kind of big controversy or anything, but right. what I'm saying is that when you buy a new vehicle off the lot, you assume mm. that it's going to be compliant with yeah. the current cafe – or not cafe, but rather emissions standards right. in that area and, mm. and in the U.S. in general. Yeah. It's going to pass. It's going to be a clean vehicle. Right. And It wouldn't get, be sold as a new car otherwise. Yeah, it wouldn't be right. allowed to. Well, no. But I mean you pick up a, a you know a, a seven-year-old used car. Sure. You take it in for the emissions test you know, as, as most people have to do now around big cities at least. Yeah. Um, you know, yearly before you get the renewal of your tags or whatever. Um there's always that chance that they're going to say, sorry, you're just over on uh, on this, and um, here's the recommended fix. You've got 30 days to make that fix. Otherwise, you're not allowed to drive this vehicle on uh, Georgia highways, right. Georgia roads. And, uh, and, and you know, I think there's limits to that, too. You know, you, you can spend a certain dollar amount on the fixes. That's I think you're limited. Like, you, you don't have to spend $10,000 to get your car compliant with right, uh, whatever. Right. But, but you might have to spend, you know, a minimum or a maximum, rather, of – Three hundred dollars, or whatever right. it happens to be. I don't know the number, but uh, they don't want you to go crazy, you know, to, to have to you know, make the car yeah, compliant to make the car twice as expensive Which, as I what know, it I was. Find this, yeah. I find this all very funny. I, I find the whole emissions game kind of funny. Because well, yeah, because it's it's the balance between what is supposed to be uh, environmentally responsible, yeah. what is supposed to cause the least amount of of harmful effect on other people, but also not supposed to break the bank. Yeah, I know, but but do you see what I mean, though? And I find this funny, and we can talk about this maybe in another podcast. Yeah, I don't know. It seems yeah. to fit here a little bit, but it's funny that if the car doesn't pass, they say, well, you can spend $300 on it, and if it doesn't pass again, we'll just kind of give you the okay for this year. It's like well, yeah. we're, we're accepting that you know it's still not compliant with our with our rules and regulations. And then also – your car can age out of this so that after 10 years or 15 years or whatever happens mm-hmm. to be, I think it's 10, uh, you don't have to have that car emissions tested anymore to right. get your tags. And that seems kind of silly to me, too, because at that point, most of that stuff on your car is wearing out to the point where it's going to probably not pass anyways. Right. The emissions are going to be are, are, it's going to be beyond the emission standard. Yeah, and yeah. those are the heavy polluters. Those are the ones that, you know, do emit more. So maybe they're thinking at that point that you're not driving it as heavily as <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. I mean, I'm, I really I, when I look at this from several different angles, the emissions testing thing, I, yeah. I, it's really confusing. Well, I mean, the, and when we get into the Volkswagen stuff in particular, it gets a little confusing because. Ultimately, you hear the news from the government saying, all right, if you own a Volkswagen, don't worry. You're not – we're not going to penalize you for that because it's not your fault. Yeah. So you're like, well, but it's still producing the pollution. Yeah. Let's say so, that I – let's say I drove a Fiat from, yeah. uh, from – I don't know. I'm going to make this up 10 years ago or mm-hmm. um, seven years ago. So it still has to be emissions compliant. Yeah. If that car doesn't pass, like I just said, if it doesn't pass emissions – you have 30 days to make the fixes. Otherwise, you're not legally allowed to drive that car. So they're saying we're giving all these Volkswagen vehicles that are on the road right now that we know will pass the test, but they're passing it. They're cheating. Yeah, they're cheating. But we know that they're not compliant, but we're allowing you the time until Volkswagen comes back with a fix. So there's going to be like this year or two years maybe where they know what's happening. And and Again, another confusing angle on this whole thing. Yeah, because you know it's, it's like they're giving a free pass. Yeah, and and 
I have some sympathy for for the government side of this because how do you deal with this otherwise? Do you just tell – I mean you can't go and confiscate everyone's no, vehicle. You can't take the keys from everybody's car and yeah. say this is parked yeah. until you, VW comes up with a fix. Yeah, congratulations. You spent all that money on something that you can't use. No, you can't, no. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a complicated situation. We've got more to say in this classic episode of Tech Stuff after these quick messages. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. We talked about emissions. How do cars 
control emissions in the first place? What are the systems in a car, specifically a diesel engine car, that uh, are are designed in order to reduce emissions? So this nitrogen oxide in particular, but other stuff as well. And there are lots of things um, that are part of this. Uh, There's uh, there are combustion chambers that have been designed so that they can process the fuel better before it gets released or burn it off in a way where you're not going to have uh, nitrogen oxide anymore. Yeah, as, um, as complete a burn as possible. Yeah. Uh, there are some that are designed to use catalysts that will make the nitrogen oxide break apart so that you get nitrogen and oxygen, which that's there's no problem there. Our, our atmosphere is primarily nitrogen. Sure. And you're talking you – know, right now you're talking about – after after it's gone through combustion. So yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. This is in the exhaust system. Right. Yeah. There are some that are in the combustion phase, too, like just the combustion chamber and fuel systems. Sure. Uh, lube oil consumption can have an effect, too, if you if you design your car so that it, it's much more efficient with that uh, or your engine, I should say, if it's much more efficient than that. But there's also like particulate filters on mm-hmm. the on the end of it. Um, the catalysts, which can break up the nitrogen oxide into nitrogen and oxygen. Yeah, are you talking about the uh, uh, the urea um, yeah. injection systems? Yeah, uh, which further burns the uh, the soot, and so do right. the particulate filters. Yeah, those are uh, those are kind of neat. I, I, particulate filters are interesting to me because mm-hmm. um, when I was with Chrysler uh, doing uh, technical training for uh-huh. uh, you know the service people, um, uh, the technicians there rather. Um, we were talking about Dodge Ram pickup trucks that had a, uh, a diesel particulate filter that mm. would regenerate itself. Interesting. So, so some of these are single use where they fill up. And, and one of the byproducts of, of burning diesel fuel is soot. You get a mm. lot. Of, there's a lot of soot that's left over. And it's mm. almost like an like an ash type product. Mm-hmm. And you don't see ash really coming out of the uh, tailpipe of, of diesel powered vehicles. So where does it all go? Well, it goes to these big filters, and they're called uh, particulate filters, as you mm-hmm. said. And the single-use ones, that's pretty simple. I mean, the idea is that it just fills up and eventually you have to get it emptied or replaced. Kind of like a filter on a on a like a air conditioning system. Yeah, that's relatively rare now. I mean, yeah. relatively. They're still out there. But the ones that really are interesting to me, and oh, the other the other version of this would be the urea injection, which further burn, allows it to be further burned. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to refill that system uh, every let's say every ten thousand miles, or I think every five thousand miles, and that's part of the fix we'll talk about. But um, the regenerative ones, these things heat up to something like uh, you know six hundred degrees Celsius or twelve hundred degrees Celsius. It gets really, really hot, and it's it's hot enough to burn soot. And when it happens, is very interesting. It happens on the highway when you're driving because mm-hmm. I mean, imagine something underneath your vehicle that heats up to the point where it's twelve hundred degrees Celsius. That's Pretty toasty. I mean, if you were parked on, uh, you know, grass, uh, yeah. know, like dry grass somewhere, uh, it would ignite the grass below you. Well, if you're it parked would, on asphalt, you would melt it. <laughs> if you were standing next to it, I mean, it would it would burn your leg. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a hot, hot yeah. thing. I mean, that's it's twice the temperature of a of a pizza oven. Yeah. Um, it's it's really really hot, and it was interesting to see how they. Uh, uh, developed a way to to decide exactly when that happens, and that's mm-hmm. all electronically controlled. It's all it's yeah, all very precise in the way they do it. And it has to be obviously, because if it if it weren't, it wouldn't be safe for anybody. Well, sure, you put yeah. it in your garage, and if it's still doing this regenerative yeah. thing, uh, your house is up in flames. Yeah, uh, something we generally consider to be a bad thing. Yeah, that <laughs> would be. So they had to be very careful about how they designed it, but also very precise, and that's and that shows you how. Um, how carefully they can decide when things happen electronically in your car. That's so, just one example, I guess. Yeah, and so the, the these systems are obviously the things that allow a a diesel, well, really any any engine 
for cars, but we're specifically focused on diesel. These are the sort of things that allow diesel engines to operate within those emission standard parameters. Uh, but they do have an effect on uh, fuel efficiency and on and really on performance. Yeah. And so here's where we get into what Volkswagen did and where the scandal comes in. So. You've mentioned emission testing. Yeah. That's something that if you are living in certain cities, you have to go through before you can go and get your tags renewed for the next year. Uh, I remember growing up in rural Georgia, that was not a thing. Didn't know anything about it till I moved here to Atlanta and I saw all these kind of tent-like structures outside of usually, you know, like a, like a mechanics or something. You see it and it'd say emission testing, 25 bucks or whatever it is. Yeah. And I, I kept thinking like, well, what's that for? And it wasn't until I, we didn't own a car at first, me and my wife. And when we finally got one, we found out. I'm like, oh, okay, I, that makes sense because yeah. you're in a you're in a dense populated area where there are a lot of people, especially in Atlanta, which is a very car centric city. It makes sense for it to be there, but I just I had never encountered it before. Get, gets me every time it's your birthday, of course, because yeah. you're renewing your tags, right? So uh, there's you know a hundred bucks right there that you have to pay out or whatever, right, right. and then they hit you with another twenty five dollars for emissions if right. your car. Fits that certain parameter, those, yeah. those uh, you know, the year or right. uh, whatever, you know. You yeah, it's, it all depends on like, uh, what year you bought the car and what model it was and, and how, how old is it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I always feel like I need a degree to figure out whether or not I need to get, get the emissions you, test. You know what's even more frustrating to me? What's I live, that? I live in the extreme northern part of this county, uh, that, that Atlanta is in. And yeah. It's an odd shaped county, so it's way, way far away. It's like yeah. 30 miles away. Yeah. Not, I mean, not even half a mile down the road is the next county where it, they don't do emissions. They testing. don't do emissions yeah. testing. So I'm not even anywhere near the city. Yeah, but I still have to do this emissions testing because you're here. in the county. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, so what what was going on with the Volkswagen one was that the car, quote unquote, knew when it was being tested, and it would turn on all these emissions controls, essentially shutting out off emissions for effectively shutting off emissions for the duration of the test. So that during the test phase, this clean diesel engine, which is the way it was marketed as clean diesel vehicles, was remarkable. It had performance. It had it was meeting the emission standard. It had fuel economy. This was a, a miracle machine. Yeah, and other manufacturers at the time were kind of marveling at how Volkswagen had done it. Now, Volkswagen had been in the diesel game for a long time, yeah. so they thought, well... This is superior German engineering. They've got some kind of idea of how this works, and we just we just can't seem to get the performance angle out of this whole thing. You know, we can do the emissions, we can do the fuel economy, we can't do the performance. Or we can do... It's that, it's that old, you can do, you know, pick two of those things. Yeah. But they were all scratching their heads, like, well, how is Volkswagen doing this? And it turns out you know, this this you hear the term defeat device. Yeah. And a lot of people will picture a, a physical device you could hold in your hand. Like yeah, something like something, be, something you would shove inside the exhaust pipe or something. Yeah, yeah. So this term defeat device is a little bit deceptive in that it's it's really just um it's a software code. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's a very cleverly written line of software. Incredibly cre- uh, clever because, you know, my first my first thought when I heard about the scandal that they had installed software that would defeat the emissions testing by by incorporating the emissions controls during the test and then turning them off afterwards. So you get that fuel efficiency and performance back, uh, but you're emitting much more pollution at that time. Yeah. My first reaction was, I wonder if it's just when they connect the computer system, like it, 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 uh, 
it detects when the computer system gets connected to it. Yeah. No, it's way more subtle than that. Well, sure, because there are other situations where you would use that, and yeah. they knew that. They knew that uh, you know people have their own home diagnostic tools that right. they can plug in. We're talking about the uh, the OBD2 ports. Yes, you know, yes. The, uh, the diagnostic ports on the driver's side. Right. And uh, it's it's it goes far deeper than that because yeah. it it takes into account. Uh, the wheel speed, it takes mm-hmm. into account the position of the steering wheel. Yep. Um, everything is read all, all, you know, your, your car is talking all the time to other modules are talking to other modules and figuring right. out what's going on. And they determined that they knew exactly the, the parameters that were set because these are government standards that, yeah. that are in place for a, a vehicle emissions test. And they're the same everywhere. So, it's very, very easy to say when this condition is met, then you do this. And when yes. this is met, you do that. And if these two things are met, then you do this. And it, it, it's so it, it's so simple for them to cheat this way. I don't know why other people haven't tried this in the past. If Well, maybe they have. They, but, it is possible, but this was one where where it was found out. Yeah, it was. It's a, like you said, it's very simple. It's an if-then, yeah. right? If conditions are equivalent to a testing situation, then engage the emission controls. Like it's that, that that's simple. that's basic computer programming is the if then statement. Yeah. And uh, they obviously we're oversimplifying for the purposes of this discussion, but that's that's the basic model they followed, which is incredibly subversive and brilliant at the same time. Yeah, I mean there could I don't know how many parameters they've got here, but there could be 10 different indicators that the vehicle is in emissions testing right. at that point and and then you react this way, but then once you unplug all that and you're on your way, uh, we don't want the, we don't want it to react that way because yeah. the driver will say, you know, I went in for emissions testing and the car feels like it's broken. Something's right. wrong. Yeah, it's not responding the way it should. I'm not getting the fuel economy that I was getting before. What did you guys do to my car? Yeah. So uh, one of the, the the 2016 thing that I was mentioning before, Volkswagen has revealed that it has an emission control system that might only engage during tests. I got the feeling like this, the way it's been reported, it sounds like someone who's already been caught doing something wrong. And then when they are directly asked, hey, did you also do this? Like, it might be well, not wh- against the rules, I mean, maybe. It, it, it plays right into it. Why would they build the 2016 models any different than they did the 2015s right. because and the they, 2014s and all the way back yeah. to 08? Yeah. Um, because they knew what worked and they hadn't been caught at that point, yet they had already manufactured those cars. Yeah, and the the 2016 one has the additional uh, element in that it heats up a pollution control catalyst, and that's the thing that I was talking about. You know, separating out the nitrogen and oxide, uh, the nitrogen oxide into nitrogen and oxygen. Yeah, uh, that's what the 2016 models have. Yeah, they had installed uh, lean uh, NOx traps and in, in certain vehicles, and in other vehicles, you know, like after 2012, they installed something they called the selective catalytic reduction systems, mm-hmm. and uh, in you know. I guess that's the one with the liquid urea uh, solution that was sprayed into it. So it's a it's a much more complex system than the uh, the lean Knox traps, but um, that that in itself is going to be a problem for Volkswagen because they have to deal with all these different vehicles in different ways. They need yeah. they need different things for the fix, and I can outline that later. Yeah, I, just a quick example. Uh, if you if you look up the news, that you hear that like the, some of the models of the Passat were uh, had twenty times. The the allotted the, you know the allowable amount of emissions when it was in its normal driving operation. Sure, and then outside of emissions testing. Right, and the Jetta was even worse. It could be between fifteen and thirty-five times. Some of them were up to forty times the allowed amount of emissions of nitrogen oxide. Sure, I'm going to guess that those are the ones that were just the lean the lean Knox traps equipped ones. Yeah, uh, because that's kind of uh, other manufacturers were saying. How can you get these these standards? How can you meet these standards 
with just a lean knock strap. It's there's yeah. just no way. We right. can't we can't do it. How are you doing it? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the magic. Where's the leprechaun inside your engine that's allowing this to happen? <laughs> so here's a fun fact. Uh did you did you run across the name of the engineer who who is credited as discovering this? No, I did not. He's got a perfect name. All right. So it's Volkswagen that has been called out on this. The name of the engineer, uh, U.S. engineer, whose discovery essentially led to the unveiling of the scandal is John German. No way. Yeah. Really? He's interesting. A, he's German, the engineer. Yeah, that is funny, but I, not a German engineer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this is a private agency, right? Yeah, actually, uh, he was. Um, so he also works not just with uh, engineering, but he works with a, uh, a kind of a, an environmental protection sort of uh, organization. But he's not with the U.S. government. No. Okay. No, he was not. Uh, and so originally, in fact, he handed that information over to the U.S. government. So originally, what he was doing. Was purely he he didn't suspect Volkswagen of doing anything hinky. What he was doing was he was looking at the nitrogen oxide emissions, the NOx emissions in Europe, and seeing how how out of control they were in certain regions, and then looking at the data for the United States and saying, well, I mean, obviously there's a difference between the number of diesel vehicles on the road in Europe and those in the U.S. Oh, but he was saying vast difference, yeah. But he was saying, well, you know, there's there's something clearly happening over here in the U.S. Like the Volkswagen cars are amazing. Uh, maybe we can look into the engineering of the Volkswagen cars and give advice to European automakers to help out Europe. So it was it was purely an approach to help someone else out yeah. that he even started looking into this. So he's then essentially what he did was he was measuring these levels on the road as like a highway travel or city travel versus in a lab environment. Yes, he specifically started looking at how the cars were performing in various environments and discovered there were vast inconsistencies. Yes. So real world situations versus lab situations. Exactly. And, and that is dramatically, well, in this case, well, extremely different uh, in the case mm. of Volkswagen in particular. Yes. And so at this point, he's saying, huh, something is really off about this and was tempted to even perhaps call it a defeat device at that stage. But he did not. He instead handed the data over to the EPA and as a courtesy, handed the report over to Volkswagen as well. Ah. In 2014. Oh boy. May 2014. Yeah. So it's been more than a year since this data got to Volkswagen. And German says the reason he sent it to Volkswagen was because perhaps it was a legitimate oversight something. Like, like maybe it was a, a fault in, in part of the engineering that could be addressed and fixed. Yeah. That there might be a, uh, an honest mistake here. And, you know, he was giving them a huge benefit of the doubt. Sure. He might even be thinking that it's in this one particular line of vehicles. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's a problem with that. Or maybe it's a, it's very, you know, it could be very, very simple for you to change this. But he had no idea that this was the tip of the iceberg. Right. So the EPA starts looking into it. And it wasn't until September of this year, 2015, that Volkswagen essentially came out and said, you got us. Oh, boy. Yeah. You know what? I... Okay, they've known about it for a while. You, you do have to give them some some credit uh, to come right out and say like, yeah, you you, you got us. You you got us fair and square. Uh, oh, we, we although have to be cheating. fair, they 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 said that due to some rogue software developers. Oh boy, like, like no one has come out to the point in Volkswagen to say this was a decision. Like like they're not willing to say this decision goes all the way to the top. Yeah, 
It's more like someone lower down made this decision without our our knowledge, and that's and we're suffering for Although it. Although the top guy did step down, yes, yeah. So I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's definitely affected uh, their corporate structure as well. I yes, mean, in the last month, it'll and it will continue to affect them heavily in the oncoming months. Yes, yeah, yeah. This is so far reaching. I mean, I I, I sometimes sit around like at my desk. I'm I'm thinking about like just the the sheer. Volume of vehicles, not only here in the United States, but right. worldwide. 11 million vehicles yeah. or so. Yeah. We have, uh, what, half a million here. Yep. And it's a big deal here. Sure. I can imagine what it's like over there, what, what they're going through over there. But I just think about, like, the, the pure logistics of this whole thing, too, yeah. with uh, some of the fixes that they're proposing and all that, and the time involved and the money involved. And, and you know, are they, are they uh, you know, the bigger questions, are they going to come back from this? Are they going to, uh, what's this going to do to Diesel's reputation? Oh, and not yeah. only Not only here, but worldwide. I mean, sure. everybody kind of bought into this. It's, uh, you know, we get, well, less, we get listener mail all the time from listeners in Europe that uh, prior to this that were saying, mm-hmm. why aren't you guys on Diesel like we are over here in Europe? Why aren't mm-hmm. you, why aren't you doing that? And I mean, it's one of those things where you look at it and you think, it's a lie that we want to believe, mm-hmm. right? It's a convenient lie because it gives us the feeling that we're not contributing to pollution and we're getting the the performance we want out of our vehicles and the fuel economy we want out of our vehicles. If you tell me that lie, I am probably inclined to believe it because it it's to everyone it seems to be to everyone's benefit until you strip away the lie and realize how much pollution is actually being dumped out there. A lot of people felt really good about driving, you know, clean diesel engines. Yeah. I mean it's right there in the name, clean diesel. So right. people felt really good about going to VW and picking up a you know a TDI equipped engine uh, TDI equipped vehicle and, and being happy about that. Yeah. Like I'm I'm doing my part. Yeah, like I'm being a responsible adult. I'm not getting one of those gas guzzlers that's eating up gasoline and pouring out tons of carbon monoxide out into the atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And according to The Guardian, this is something you guys covered on uh, – Scott, you were on an episode of Forward Thinking with Joe and Lauren while I was out on vacation and talked about this. But The Guardian estimated that it could have been around nine, almost 950,000 metric tons of nitrous oxide or nitrogen oxide emissions every year. That this was this technology was out there. See, the numbers are just immense. I mean, it's it's all of this, this whole thing. I mean, when you go back all the way to the 2008 model year, you're thinking that, well, this has been happening for seven years, yeah, or eight years now at this point. I guess mm-hmm. model years. Sure. Um, it's just such a big, big problem. It, it's so enormous in mm-hmm. in all aspects. I, I really am having a hard time seeing how Volkswagen recovers from this. Right, and and as we pointed out earlier, if you already have one of these vehicles then until there is a fix, you're going to continue to contribute to that that pollution. And it's not because you're a bad person. It's because the car itself, the way it's designed, that's that's just how it works. I mean, to put it bluntly, you were sold a lie. Yeah. And and you bought that lie. But, yep. But you know what? It wasn't your it wasn't your fault. Really. No, the government bought that lie, too. Yeah. yeah because that's... because they, the wool was pulled over its eyes. Yeah. yeah. I, I just. I, can I come clean? I, I drive a Volkswagen, yeah, uh, but it's not a diesel. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned that in the forward thinking episode too, and and I love it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have it's a great engine. It's a lot of fun, but it's a gasoline burning engine, right? So I'm not involved in all this, and I right. I, I got to say that when I when I see a, a Volkswagen on the road now, I consciously look to the lower right corner of the back end of the vehicle, yep. and I and I try to see if it's a TDI equipped and a TDI equipped vehicle, mm-hmm. and. I just think, like, what what is that person going through right now? They're, they're dealing with, you know, they they bought a car that they thought was, you know, all the things we said, and it and it's right. not. 
Uh, they're going to have to deal with the dealership very soon about you know what they're going to do to fix this and how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on what make and model year you have, what they're going to do, how they're going to handle it. Um, it's not going to cost you anything, except it is going to be very, very inconvenient for you in the near future. And do you continue to trust that manufacturer? Would, would those people buy another Volkswagen when all this is said and done? Yeah, when when the 2017 models, presumably, assuming that Volkswagen's able to produce them, yeah. uh, when they come out, would they buy a diesel engine 2017 Volkswagen? And will other people that maybe are kind of on the fence about Volkswagen, you know, they, they were considering it up until yeah. this point, or maybe someone just narrowly missed buying one or just bought one the day the thing, the, the scandal broke. Uh, what do they do? I mean, there's so many individual situations that I'm really curious about right now. And it ripples out so far. So... We've heard the term that that they could be facing billions of dollars in fines. And in fact, early on in this story, it was said that Volkswagen had already set aside like $7.3 billion for fines. Right now, The Guardian estimates that the amount of fines may accumulate to around $18 billion. Yes. See, now that matches uh, what I heard initially. The very first number I heard was like $18.7 billion in yeah. EPA fines, uh, strictly here for the United States. Yeah. Now, going beyond that, there's going to be fines to pay elsewhere sure. as well because they have agreements uh, with European nations as yep. well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know how... You come back from something like this. I really don't. I mean, you can save, you can put money away, and they, and you know, they have profitable quarters. I'm sure that you know. I haven't looked at the numbers of how much they make per quarter up to this point. Um, yeah. But there's no way they're squirreling all that away. They're using it for new products. They're they, putting it back into the business. Of course. They desperately need another Love Bug movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to do it, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you wonder now if Disney will ever show the love bug ever again after this. Uh, uh, that was not involved. No, no, no. Are you trying to implicate Lindsay Lohan in this? Uh, I'm talking look, about the new one. I'm going back to the original, oh, Fred the McMurray. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you are because uh, I, I loved the original Herbie the love bug movie. Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. love that. It was fantastic film. Yes. I love it. Scott and I have a few more things to say about the Volkswagen scandal after this commercial break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. One of the other things I wanted to mention, though, if we're talking about the ripple effect, this gets super crazy. This could contribute to a severe economic downturn in Europe for multiple reasons. Um, one is that the confidence of a major European manufacturer has gone into sharp decline for obvious reasons. Uh, and it has prompted several strategists, equity strategists over at Bloomberg to readjust what their predictions were for the Stocks Europe 600 index. And they have adjusted it lower than what they had predicted. And because of Volkswagen's um, uh, association with China as well and the Chinese markets, which are very uncertain, this whole mess could get really ugly from an economic standpoint, which I'm not going to get into because this is not an, an economics podcast. And I am in no way qualified to talk about that that aspect of it. But it's kind of like when you start pulling back and pulling back and pulling back you keep asking am i am i back far enough am i seeing the full picture yeah. yet you know just uh, just to tell you that this last weekend i was out, out with a couple of friends uh-huh. my wife and i and uh this couple that we were out with said that they were um buying Volkswagen stock right now because it's at a low point. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I don't know, is that a good move or is that a bad move? Right. And I was thinking, is it as time, low as it going to go? At, at the moment, I said, you know what, that's probably a good move because it's probably going to come back. It's probably going to you know rebound mm-hmm. and everything's going to be fine. But uh, the more I hear about this, the, yeah. the last couple of weeks that I've been uh, you know studying this, and especially this last week, mm-hmm. uh, when it, the enormity of this situation has really just it finally hit me yeah. how big this is. I don't really know. I don't know if that is a good investment or not. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't say for well, sure. 
and the stock price went from like one hundred and sixty seven dollars before the announcement of the 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 discovery of this cheating or at least the public unveiling that, you know, this was a thing. Uh, today, when I checked it earlier, it was $102. So does the smart money buy right now or do you wait and see? Because if you're talking about a company that may be facing up to $18 billion in fines and we don't know that that's the full extent yet, I would be nervous to put money in that because well, I would think like this company might fall a little further before it bottoms out. Yeah, it's probably not not the bottom yet. I think yeah. we can both agree to that. I mean, and plus – you know, these fixes that they've outlined just this last week, mm-hmm. uh, these don't begin until 2016. Right. And some of, some of them, it's like a three-phase thing. Some of them don't begin until late 2016. This is this is a long-term problem for Volkswagen. It's not something that's going to go away overnight. And, right. And it, uh, if you haven't read about it or you don't know exactly what they're going to do for the fix – um, it, it's going to be very, very costly for them. In addition to the fines that we're talking about, which are already enormous, right? Uh, what they're proposing is is ridiculously expensive for a company to do. And yeah, and it costs not just money, but also put potentially in performance of your vehicle, which also means it's going to cost in customer satisfaction and loyalty. I mean, the the costs here go beyond a dollar amount. Uh, you know, can I just can I just run through this real quick? Sure. I'm, I'm dying to read. I've, I've mentioned it about four times now. But, yeah. But I, I will quickly go through it and I'll tell you what they're doing. And this is this is um, the plan as laid out by my, um, the current U.S. CEO, Michael Horn. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent several hours testifying in front of a congressional panel uh, just this last week. And it's all about the, you know, the emissions scandal. And, uh, you know, the senators that he was in front of, they were, uh, you know, they were angry at him. They were um, incredulous, you know, that, that, that this, this car maker would try to cheat the mm-hmm. public like this and the U.S. government and, uh, you know, sidestep all these, uh, these standards that they had in place. And, and the funny thing is, and I don't know if that really to say funny, but he's agreeing with them. Mm-hmm. Throughout this whole uh, testimony, he's saying, you know what, I'm angry at the manufacturer as well. Our, you know, my company, yeah. I'm angry at them for doing this. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that this was all happening. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also upset. And so he has a bit of sympathy. I mean, he gets, that's how he, he gains, I guess, his, uh, his sympathy with, right. uh, with the people that are listening, right? Um, believe it or not, you know, whether you want to or not. <laughs> so there's like three different groups here, and I'll quickly go through it. I'm not going to list all the vehicles or anything like that, but um, basically it covers two different engine types, and you can kind of group these into three groups, and you'll understand when I read it. But it's an old, the older engine is the E189 engine, and the new one is the EA288 engine. Mm-hmm. And the first group is, uh, it affects is 67,000 vehicles. This is the smallest of the three groups here in the United States. And the fix is just an updated software fix. And so these are for, you know, like the, the newer two, uh, 2015 and 2016 models. And uh, these are the ones that have the new EA288 engine. Um, again, the easiest fix, and that's because they're fitted with a selective catalytic reduction system or exhaust af- after treatment system that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, they're only going to need a software fix to become compliant. Well, that's cool. And then the next group, this is uh, the, the, I guess, in-between group, you know, mm-hmm. not, not the biggest group that we'll get to last. Uh, this is just the 2012 and 2014, or through 2014, Passat TDI. And this one will require a, an updated software fix and a possible hardware modification. Mm-hmm. So these are cars that have both a lean NOx trap that we mentioned and an SCR urea system as well. And, of course, you know, the software hardware modifications that they're talking about, they're not really specifying what the hardware modifications will be for this specific vehicle. But 
90,000 vehicles are affected with that. So wow. that's kind of like phase two, and that's going to begin uh, in mid-2016. That first one was uh, early 2016. And as a side note on that first one that I mentioned, uh, they do know that uh, you know fuel economy will likely stay the same, but they said performance might be slightly affected. And that's bad news for people that own those vehicles. Those right. 2015, 2016, you know, Golf, Audi, Jetta, you know, those vehicles are the ones that are affected. So th- they don't know what it's going to do to the Passat TDI. Well, the, and the worst part about that is saying that they could be slightly affected. Me, it, it, even if it wasn't perceptible, <laughs> by saying that it's going to be slightly affected, then you know the drivers are going to at least f- feel like there's a change in performance, even if it's not detectable on a meaningful scale. If you know, if you've heard yeah. that your vehicle's performance might be slightly affected, that's enough to psychologically push you to believe that it doesn't feel the well, same. Well, you're going to be sensitive to, you're going to be overly sensitive to yeah. it. You're going to, you're going to think that whatever you're feeling is not what you should be feeling right. in your car. Even, right. but honestly, it's probably going to affect low end torque. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect acceleration. And that's, yeah. and that's the Those two are things. two things that you would really notice. That's the two things that make a car fun to drive. Right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. mean, in most situations, right. you know, uh, taking out top end speed because most sure. people don't hit the top end speed. Well, yeah, there's very few opportunities so to do if, that. If this if this fix somehow affected the top end, like maybe dropped it down five miles an hour or something, you know, yeah. from the top end, not many people would ever experience that. Right. But when you remove acceleration from say a stoplight or trying to get on the freeway, uh that's going to affect your, your yeah. customer base. People are going to sure. say we don't want it. So the last group, and this is the biggest one, this affects now <laughs> oh this is a bad group too. This affects uh, 2009 through 2014, uh, Jetta TDIs, Golf TDIs, Beetle TDIs, Audi A3s. So, you know, how many of these vehicles you see on the road? They're everywhere, all mm-hmm. these cars. These are the ones that have a lean Knox trap only. Okay. So <laughs> these are the ones that may require the most work. Right. And, and it's the largest group. Yeah. So it's probably going to require a, a – well, of course, it will require a software you know, switch. It's going to require hardware modifications that probably include adding a complete um, – SCR system, you know, that, uh, that that cleaning system that we talked mm-hmm. about, the urea system. Mm-hmm. And they even talked about, for this group, this is how complex this would be. They said it's going to take, you know, between five and ten hours to make this type of fix and, per vehicle, which wow. is an enormous cost to the to the manufacturer for the time of the technician to do that. Sure, yeah, the Plus the parts. The mm-hmm. part, can you imagine what that costs? So they're talking about for this specific group of vehicles, this last group, that they won't even start touching until late 2016. It affects... Oh, by the way, 325,000 of the 400 and some odd, I think it's 482,000 vehicles yeah. here in the States. So the vast majority of them. Yeah. They're talking about um, offering, you know, like cash cashback offers. They're talking about entire vehicle buybacks, Gee. which is huge. I mean, there's been very few times in U.S. history. There, it's happened. Yeah. But very few times when the manufacturer says that car will no longer be on the road. We're buying back every one of them and they'll be shredded. Or whatever they happen to do with them, I don't know what the plan would be for this. But if they right. do a car buyback uh, situation, they're likely just going to destroy those vehicles. It's yeah, it's it's hard to even comprehend, really. Yeah, you wouldn't buy back the car and then fix it and then try to sell it again. Right, so, right, right. so it only makes sense. It's logically making sense to me that they would buy them back and shred them in some way, destroy wow. them. So this is a. Uh, do you see what I mean? It gets worse and worse all the time. Yeah, the more you look at it, the more you realize. Wait, no, I. I don't have the full comprehension of everything that can happen. And and as the story unfolds, we'll probably learn even more 
Like maybe we'll learn exactly where this decision was really made. And maybe it was a group of rogue software engineers uh, who were just desperate to have Volkswagen engines appear to meet all of these specifications. Um, oh, you know, can I, just one more quick thing. I mean, sure, and, and, and super quick. But, yeah, but think about think, think about the awards that this thing has won. Yeah, because you know it wins engine awards. Of mm-hmm. course, it wins uh, in two thousand eight, which is the, the first year that we're talking about. The VW Jetta TDI clean diesel won the uh, Green Car of the Year award at the LA Auto Show. Um, now, what do you do with that? Do you go back and you, do you remove that award? Is I mean, it, yeah, I would imagine you have to strip the awards it, it, from the from the different models. Just this year, the Volkswagen Golf. Now, not not. Particularly Particularly the TDI, but the Volkswagen Golf was awarded the 2015 North American Car of the Year Award at the um, at the Detroit Auto Show, the uh, the North American International Auto Show. Um, so this thing along the way, that's just two. It's won many awards along the way, and it has long been lauded as being uh, you know kind of like the solution. This is mm-hmm. this is what diesel should be here in the United States, or really worldwide. Right, yeah. Like, so well, I, I mean, that I, was why German was looking into it in the first place. So I apologize for interrupting there, but I, I, the awards thing, I just had to get, out, get that out there because they're, they've been so heavily awarded for all these diesel engines that yeah. what do you do with all that now? It's, again, part of the big problem. I guess it goes back to that phrase, you know, if it seems too good to be true. Yeah. It probably is. Yeah, you're right. And and it's why it's right in there. Why didn't they look into it when it did seem too good to be true? I, again, I think it was one of those things where, well... You would either think, well, no company would be so bold as to as to try and, and fake their way through because the consequences, as we see now, the consequences are so dire for any company that would attempt that. It seems unthinkable that they would try and do that. Yeah. Now, had they caught this in, say, 2009 or 2010 – uh, this would be dramatically different. It would be a right. much smaller number of vehicles that were affected. It would yep. be an easier thing for VW to fix and say, like, oh, well, you got us. Uh, or or even for them to say, like, it would be even more believable for them to say uh, this this was something that was, uh, you know, not intended, but we will fix it. Yeah. Like you, you could if it's if it's for a year, then you might say, well, there was something going on in the manufacturing process where. Uh, someone had this brilliant idea or they thought it was a brilliant idea and the implication wasn't completely realized within the company. You could at least plausibly make that yeah, point. But we're eight years into this, model, eight model years into this. It's now. a lot harder to make that plausible it, argument. It is, yes. And and even this eighth model year that was scheduled to come in, as you said, has been embargoed. Yeah. There's, a, there's a hold on those vehicles. Mm-hmm. They're quarantined and, and they're not able to be sold here. So, yeah. Um, it, Again, it's just a real head scratcher all around. Why would they do this? Why, yeah. why would a company allow this to happen? It is a little crazy. Now, on on a related note, I have a thing to wrap this up with because you know, obviously, this is a story that's still going. So, uh, it may be a couple of years before it may be actually a decade or more before we really see the the full extent of how the story plays out. But uh, I have a related thing to ask you because it was something I had not heard of before. But I imagine you probably have. Have you heard about the practice called chipping? Yes. Okay. This was new to me. So chipping is essentially an aftermarket approach to do pretty much what Volkswagen did, except this time it's a customer doing it on purpose to their vehicle. Sure. Yeah, to gain uh, performance gains. Yeah. So, um, okay. Or, or sometimes just to be a jerk face gain. Nah, yes. Let's be honest. Well, I, I, and I'll have a story about that in a minute. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know what, I don't know what you're going to come at me with here, yeah. but, uh, um, 
a lot of people that I've known have chipped their vehicles or have uh, replaced the ECU or, you know, whatever the, the flash upgrade or whatever the, the terminology was of what they did. But uh, there's a lot of different ways to do this. You can completely replace the, the engine control unit and make your vehicle think that it's a, a different model year that has different performance specs. Or it's a, uh, you can make your U.S. Uh, US spec vehicle think that it's a European spec vehicle and that it, uh, it, it boosts the performance. You know, it allows a greater output, um, you know, horsepower, torque, et cetera. Um, because you're not, you're not electronically limiting your vehicle to whatever the standards are in the place that you are currently. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're upping the manufacturer's um, restrictions on your vehicle electronically. Yeah. Yeah. And whether that's a top end restriction or it's a, um, a low end torque thing or shift points or whatever it happens to be, um, it's, 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 a common practice among tuners to do stuff like this uh, yeah. of, of, you know, smaller vehicles, you know, like performance import type vehicles sure. or um, even big trucks. A lot of diesel guys do that. Yes. Um, in fact, they're programmable to the point where they can, you know, kind of change things around frequently as much as they want yeah. and toy with the numbers and, you know, make it really good for pulling and for towing or they can make it, uh, you know, like performance gains for diesel engines. You get crazy great performance numbers out of a diesel engine if you just have it chipped correctly. Right. Which, you know, again, you, you're getting great performance at the expense of the legality of the emissions from your vehicle. And, and you know, see, there's the, the thing is that you can go back with a, a scan tool yeah. and change that back to whatever you need it to be. For the emissions, for the test. emissions so test. So it's exactly the same thing that Volkswagen's doing, except on a more manual basis. Yes, yes. And other people, you know, if you're outside of that 10-year window or whatever, you don't have to have emissions testing, then, you know, it's fun to make your Jeep Cherokee think that it's a cop car. Right. And that can happen. You can do stuff like that. So one of the other things that you can end up doing with this. Okay. Here's where we get to the, the jerk face part, right? Yeah. So sometimes when you chip a car, a diesel-powered uh, vehicle, and you activate it, one of the things that your vehicle might do when you press down on the accelerator is belch out an enormous cloud of black exhaust. Oh, you're talking about rolling coal. Rolling coal. Yeah. Coal rolling or rolling coal. So, Scott, <laughs> I walk home. Oh, no. <laughs> it is a three-mile walk yeah. from from here to my house. Yeah. And there is a point that I like to rest at. Uh, it's, it's a little more than halfway to my house. Yeah. And usually at that point, especially on a hot day, I like to sit down on a bench that's outside of a, a lovely little flower shop in, in uh, the Candler Park area of Atlanta. And I sit down. And I rest for a few minutes before I continue on. That sounds so peaceful. It's it's lovely. You know, I I, I, I collect my thoughts, I, I relax, and then I get up to walk the rest of the way. There was a, a day not long ago, Scott, although back when it was much hotter, uh, when I sat down on that bench, got up, I'm ready to start walking. Well, it's at a an intersection that's a four-way stop. And it's a busy intersection with a four-way stop, which is a little tricky for pedestrians. Because you have to make sure you have the attention of the drivers before you walk across. There's no light to to time it with. Sure. Hazardous situation. Yeah. So there's a, a large red diesel pickup to my left as I'm about to cross a street. Sure. I, and you can hear that loud knocking noise. Yeah. So you know it's diesel. Yeah. So I'm about to cross the street, but they decide they want to go. So not only do they go, but they flip the switch. Oh, And man. I am covered from head to toe in black exhaust as they turn right, so they turn in front of me. Yeah. Uh, so because they, they, they were on my left, they turn right, so they go down the street I was about to cross. 
and belch out that black smoke while cackling and driving down. Oh, that's jerk awful. faces. Yeah, that you know what? That is a jerk face move. I agree. Yeah. I agree. That, uh, that that whole that whole thing bothers a lot of people. I mean, yeah. other people say it's my right to do this and I'm going to do this no matter what, you know, and, and uh, uh, I guess you could say that, you know, people have been doing this uh, for exhibition for a long time. Like, you know, we go to, to a um, uh, like a tractor pull event or something yeah. like that. You see all of those vehicles are belching smoke like that. And they're doing it because it's a there is a performance gain when you do it as well. Yeah. But the situation that you're talking about, they were doing it just simply to be as an said. effect. Yeah, yeah, as an effect to to to. Uh, envelop you in this cloud of soot, and that's terribly dangerous for you. Yeah, it's not nice on, the, on their part. It was dangerous for them too. Let's yeah, be honest. Because at that but, point, I was not happy. I mean, the idea is that it, <laughs> what it does, and, and just so everybody knows, is when you flip that switch, it just dumps a bunch of extra fuel into the engine, yeah. and then that unburned fuel can't quite get burned off the way it normally would. And you know, with all those exhaust scrubbers that we talked about, right. you know, the, the the particulate filters and all that, it bypasses all that. And then you end up with this cloud of smoke that looks like um like it's coming out of you know the you know, little trains that burn coal. Yeah, yeah. It looks like that. And yeah. that's what they call it. They call it rolling coal. Yep. And uh, uh just so you guys know out there, out there in listener land, according to John Swanson of California's Air Resource Board, any modification to a pollution control system is illegal unless the manufacturer of that product had proven that the modification doesn't result in any adverse impact on the environment. Yeah. Now, again, any place that I've seen this happen in real life was, has been like at a tractor pull event yeah. or something like that. But I've never seen anybody actually had this done to them outside of uh, video clips. Yeah, I wish that. No, I don't you wish there were video yeah, rolling on that. I'm going to second guess myself. I, I, I've seen in traffic, I've seen some some uh, you know diesel trucks that are emitting quite a bit of smoke. Yeah. But they're traveling at such a speed that I can't tell if they've done that. At a slow speed, it's very apparent right. what happens because it's a dramatic difference in, yes. in the output of exhaust uh, gases, rather, or the cloud of smoke or whatever soot. Uh, I can't say for sure that I've never seen it happen in real life. But uh, but I don't think so. Not intentionally. Like, you know, when they there's a big... A uh, truck and a Prius is following it. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they flip the switch because yeah. I think that's funny. Yeah. Uh, or a walker. A lot of times you'll see, you can see videos of this where they, they go by bikers or walkers or whatever and, and shoot these mean-spirited videos where they, like, same thing they did to you. It wouldn't surprise me if there's some video on YouTube where you see a an exhausted, sweaty, bald podcaster <laughs> coated in soot. Well, I'm sorry to hear that happen to you, man. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah, as a as a pedestrian who already considers himself somewhat environmentally friendly, it was it was like a it was like a cherry on top for my day. Uh, at <laughs> oh, any rate, yeah. By the way, Car Stuff has a podcast on rolling coal. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, go check that out, guys. Shameless I mean, plug. That's not. It's a completely shameless plug because there's no shame to be had. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely check out Car Stuff, guys. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show and kind of talking about the scandal and the technology behind it. Uh, this is a little bit of a departure from our normal tech stuff episodes, but I thought it was really important to talk about because it's something that's been in the news. It does have to do with the tech and, and the software of the car. And there's a lot of stuff we could have touched on, but this this show's gone pretty long, so I don't want to continue it on anymore. But, I mean, this also ties into other elements of why it's it's harder and harder to tell what's going on with your vehicle, mm-hmm. at least to tell and be sure that that's really what's happening. Sure, yeah. I mean, look at the uh, the, the the false bill of sale that uh, that all these VW yeah. owners were handed, and uh, it, it really 
kind of opened everybody's eyes to the fact of, or to the idea of what manufacturers could do to kind of toy with these things, uh, that how much control they have over every little situation that your car can be in. I mean, it's very, very specific and it's very, very devious what they did, but, um, well, they got away with it for about eight years, but, uh, it's too bad for them. They got caught. Yeah. Uh, it was the wrong time to get caught. If they were going to get caught, and and somehow escape this. It should have been earl- earlier. Yeah, they thought no, they were going to get away with it forever. That's that's one of those points where you realize like you are all in. Hope you enjoyed that classic episode and Scott's contribution to it. Uh, miss you, buddy. Hope you're doing well out there. It was great to have him on the show and talk about this stuff because, you know, I obviously have my own perspective, my own point of view. I I value having other people on the show to kind of balance that out, give me an alternative perspective and, and alternative uh, conclusions that perhaps I had not even thought about. So it's always great having guests on the show. If you would like to reach out and suggest future topics or maybe even future guests that I should have on Tech Stuff, please do. There are a couple of different ways you can do that. One is you can download the iHeartRadio app, which is free to download, free to use. Navigate over to the Tech Stuff page on that app. Use the little microphone icon. That will let you record a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Or you can hop on over to Twitter, send me a message. The handle for the show is techstuffhsw. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, sleep tight stories.